Well, it is great to, to have the privilege in a moment to introduce our guest speaker, or interviewee, I should say, uh, Ken Weissmer. He is a pastor, an author, a husband, a dad, and a founder of the Justice Conference, who, which has been on this past week as Ken Weissmer. So why don't you welcome him to the stage right now. It was great to be here. As I said, part of the Justice Conference. Yes, good morning. I, w I had the privilege of going on Friday to the Justice Conference, and uh, I have to say, it really surprised me. I think I had a false expectation of what was going to come, and I was, I was very pleasantly surprised. In fact, I'd encourage anyone, if you get the opportunity next year to... Uh, it is on next year. Absolutely, on next year. Better check before I say that, to, to go along. Even if you can only get to a few of the sessions, it will just change your framework. And uh, it's something I think is not just for the church, but I think the church should really speak into this, but actually for the general public. And I think if you've got friends who are interested in this or have a social justice bent, then get them along to it so they can actually hear what the heart of Jesus is in justice. So it was a privilege. So thank you for putting on. So why don't you tell us a little bit about the Justice Conference and how it got started? Yeah, Justice Conference... Um uh, it's a fun memory, um, but back in 2010, a group of us at our church in Bend, Oregon, um, I kind of had a vision that I feel like God gave me, said do a conference, call it the Justice Conference, and uh, there's a lot of us that were really passionate, a lot of creative individuals, a lot of people that were willing to give time and energy, kind of like the video we saw, and we threw together an event, um, put our hearts and souls into it, and had a thousand people show up in Bend, Oregon, which is uh, in the middle of nowhere. Uh, kind of, Central Oregon. Uh, Oregon, if you don't know, is above California. Most people know California, I find. Disneyland. Um, yeah. Now we got you. <laughs> now we got you, yeah. Uh, and and it, was a, it was a fun thing. So that was the beginning of 2011, and, and there was a thousand people there. 800 of them had flown from somewhere outside of Central Oregon from all around the world, really. There was, uh, you know, 15 or so countries represented, and it really took us by surprise. And it just kind of went from there. I'm the founder at this point. I don't run it anymore. I handed it off a couple of years ago. And, and, uh, and so it's just been wild to watch as now it's going to be in five different countries. And, and uh, 30,000 people have been to conferences uh, all around the world. And, and uh, yeah, sometimes you just get to have a front row seat to see what God's doing. That's amazing. That's amazing. So why don't you tell us, obviously, justice is something that's on your heart to why this whole conference started. And uh, the Bible talks a lot about justice. What does the Bible actually mean by justice? Yeah, I, I think justice is, uh, it shows up more in the Old Testament, and we see it there. It's also in the New Testament. We just don't read it quite the same way. And so I think it's easy for us just to kind of leave it off as a, we know that's something in God's economy that he cares about, but um, I don't have to really trouble myself with it. Uh, but actually, the, the word in the verse that was read here, um, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all this will be given unto you. Um, that's actually in, in the Greek, the Greek word for justice and righteousness, they're synonyms. Um, so seek first his kingdom and his justice and all this will be given unto you. The idea is that when we give our lives away, which is what we're called to do. If you seek your life, you'll lose it. But if you lose your life for his sake, you'll find it. So we're called to give our lives away in a, in a very kind of real way. Uh, Philippians 2, Jesus emptied himself and, and we're supposed to, to consider others um, better than, than ourselves. Like we're supposed to have this kind of altruistic, outward focused, just or righteous life. And when we do that, it sets up a real tension 
because you don't get on well in life when, when you're seeking the betterment of others but not yourself, you know? Pretty soon you look around and you go, well, who's going to look out for me, right? I mean, I, I seem to be helping a lot of people, but that doesn't help me pay the rent. Uh, it doesn't solve my problems. Uh, who's going to look out for me? And, and the answer to that is that God has promised that he'll take care of those that, that are obedient to him in giving their life away. So we, we give our lives away on faith, faith that God will take care of us. So, um, so back to that verse, uh, seek first his kingdom and his justice and all will be given unto you. That's that promise that those who live by faith, giving their lives away, sacrificial love, uh, working for justice and righteousness, will somehow, somehow be cared for by God. And, and it's a, which, which by the way, brings up a whole other set of problems, just the tension of faith, right? Faith is inherently tension-filled. It's not easy. Absolutely. So how, how can we as a church improve in this area of justice? Um, I'm trying to think of jokes, and I'm, I'm on the wrong time zone for that. So if you see me pause, it's usually my dry humor is trying to find a, an inroad, and, and you know, then you miss the opportunity. Uh, how could you as a church, uh, you, know, I, you know, I don't know. I, I, I'm a pastor, so I planted a church 10 years ago. We celebrated our 10-year anniversary a week ago. Um, I think that there's something radically unique about every church. Every church is a, is a thumbprint or a fingerprint, right? Every church, I think sometimes in today's day and age, every church has this impulse or this, this will or this push to copy other churches. If only we had people like that in our church. If only we had this. If only we had whatever. If only we had their building. If only we had... And I think that the reality is, is if we, we understand the church rightly that each church has just what it needs in terms of spiritual gifting to accomplish God's will in that place at that time. Like every, every ch- this group here has everything it needs to fully accomplish what God's will is for you. All it takes is, is sacrifice, creativity. Um, there's so much more room for creativity when we stop trying to copy. Um, and, uh, and, and, and then just a desire to, I think, have fun. I think when we're obedient, that's where joy comes in. And so I think we don't, we're not obedient because we're so starved for joy that we're like, I got to go watch more Netflix because, you know, I'm not happy enough. And so I can't show up at what the church is doing. But I love those people as a pastor. I love those people. Let me just say something. Uh, and I know this is true of you guys, and I know enough of your story to know it's true of you too. I love... I don't love the church because I'm a pastor. I'm a pastor because I love the church. I was a 22-year-old engineering student um, that had nothing to do with religion and got saved and made a V-line for ministry because God called me there. I love, um, I love my job because I love the church. Um, and, uh, and it's not just I'm a pastor, so now I have to care about all the church programs. And I wish you guys would too because then it would make my job easier and it would make uh, my platform bigger. Like, it's, it's not the way it goes. Um, I, I don't love the church because I'm a pastor. I'm a pastor because I love the church. And so I think this church... Uh, what, what you all are doing when, when people sell out for church ministry, you know, there's something beautiful in that. You know, we don't, I, I, there needs to be more of that. You know, the people that look forward to showing up at meetings, the last one, like my, my wife, 
it's her job every Sunday in her mind, because she grew up this way as a kid. She, like her whole goal is not to worship God on a Sunday morning. I'm overstating it. She, she wouldn't say it this way, but, but it's to be the last one out of the, the building. Like she aims at that. Like if you're someone that's just too extroverted and you don't know how to cut it off, like I'll end up hating you because you're going to make us later to lunch. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? Like because my wife is not going to let you remain at church longer than, than she's at church. Because for her, that's what she wants for our kids. Like she wants them growing up and realizing it's not just something you tick off. It's not just something you consume, but that is your place. That's your family. That's your kin. You, you stay long. You linger, right? Um, and and uh, I eat a lot. Um, I don't necessarily have that same value my wife does about sticking around. But, um, but I think there's something there. So what could Bayside do? Uh, get excited about being a Christian, Get excited about being in a church. Be excited about having brothers and sisters here. Be excited about what, what the Holy Spirit can do through you all collectively if you catch a dream, catch a vision, right? So maybe that's something. That's awesome. It's yeah. awesome. I've learned a few things. Also learned that to be a senior pastor, you have to like food. Seems to be a thing. Pastor Rob's always talking about food as well. <laughs> you talk about, uh, as I said, don't copy but create a, a, a theology of creativity. Can you explain that a little bit more? Yeah, I, I, I recently, so I ponder things and, and then, uh, no, I ponder things and then end up writing about them. Um, and, uh, but I, I like talking about theology and, and I'm, for me, theology means something different than it does for other people, right? And so I say the word theology, and, and everyone starts looking at their watch, you know. It's, when's this going to be done, right? Um, but what I mean by it is something so intensely practical. Um, so we can look at a subject, and just what we see about it, we can, we can talk about. Or we can look at God, try and understand God, and then understand that subject through that lens. Does that make sense? So uh, the book of Proverbs says the fear of the Lord, in other words, taking God first, paying attention to him first, looking to him first, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's the beginning of knowledge. So we're going to really understand things if we, if, we, if we first take account of God. Does that make sense? So justice was something I came at theologically, the, the justice conference. The, the craziest thing about the success of the justice conference is that who would have imagined it would have grown when the whole kind of centering principle was a theology of justice? That's kind of what we told everyone at the, at the get-go. We're, we're having a conversation about the theology of justice. Um, but it did. A theology of justice means that, that justice isn't just good works. It's not just ethics. It's also one of the ways by which we come to know God. So, so somehow in, in thinking about justice or pursuing justice, I begin to learn something about my God who is just. I begin to learn something about how he sees people, his heart for his creation, right? If you have a father that loves to fly fish and you never go fly fishing, then there's something deficient about your knowledge of your father. And if you go with your father and see him fly fish and you see the nature, how sublime it is, the, the rhythm, the outdoors, the solitude, even if you hate the experience yourself, you see the joy of your father in that moment, you come out of that experience, you're like, I, I, I now have a bigger, fuller, richer, deeper understanding of what makes my father tick. And when we engage in justice, we grow in our knowledge and understanding of God. 
So we, we tend to say like the missions team people, you know, those, those, those people with the gift of mercy, like they're going to go do justice. The rest of us are going to read books on spiritual growth <laughs> so that we can know God better. And, and I think when we, when we come at justice theologically, we, we realize that we should be reading books about justice in our spiritual growth reading groups, right? It has a theological component and not just an ethical one. Creativity, um, I came at that the same way. So if we look at God, what do we understand about creativity? And the, the first thing was just uh, the verse, the Bible verse, Genesis 127, uh, God created them, male and female, he created them. In his image, he created them. And as I reflected on that verse, I was, I, was, I was struck by the fact that there's one word that shows up more than any other word in that verse, and that, that word is created. And so if you had just that verse, you're on a desert island, and um, someone says, what's the stuff of God? What makes God up? What's the, the image of God, the substance of God? Um, because we're made in his image, so what is, what is that image? What are we a reflection of, Right. There's only one thing from that verse that you could say with, with grammatical certainty is a part of the stuff of God, and that's that God is a creative being. You know, I took, I took theology classes where we talk about the immutability of God and the holiness of God and the righteousness of God and the long, all these attributes. And the funny thing is, is never once did I ever hear a theology professor say that God's creative. You see, we've done something really interesting to God. We've... We talk about him as the creator, and we bury him back in the, the, the early parts of Genesis, and we leave him stuck there. And, and there's a problem with that. We don't see the creator as being a creative. Yeah. And so there's a verse in Isaiah that, that says, uh, it's really fascinating. That the, the Israelites are worried about war coming. I mean, war, war is, I mean, just think of Syria right now. Like, war means the death of your loved ones, the destruction of your property, right? War is coming, and, and people are afraid. And God says, don't be afraid of the blacksmith who forges the weapons of war. I created the blacksmith, yeah. right? Don't be afraid of the banker that holds your, your loan note. Be, be afraid of God who created the banker. Don't worry about the doctor that's going to give you the, the diagnosis, Right? Look to God who's above the doctor and, and who created your body that's not working quite right. Um, like, there's something interesting. God is actively creating now, yeah. right? He didn't just create. He is creating now. And then it says later in Isaiah, I, I behold, I will create a new heavens and a new earth. So God did create. God is creating. God will create. And so we, as being made in the image of God, are inherently creative beings who create through time. It's part of our humanity. Dorothy Sayers says, um, man is never more himself than when he is actively creating. Uh, there, I can't, I'm not going to get it right because I usually read it, but um, Pope John Paul II said that our true vocation is as sharers in the creative work of God. Um, so this morning I would tell you that... Um, Artistic ability is a skill or a talent that some people possess, but creativity is a human trait. Artistic uh, uh, ability is a skill or a talent that some possess, but creativity is a human trait. You, my brothers and sisters, are creative. Okay? So when, when we say, and I've said it before, I, we've all said it, thunk it, heard it, but the, the, old, the old saying, I don't have a creative bone in my body. You know what I'm talking about? Mm -hmm. 
Um, if you say that you don't have a creative bone in your body, you're actually saying something that is theologically incorrect. Okay? Um, and, and what you, I know, what, I know what we mean by that. What we mean by that is, I, I, don't, I don't know how to paint. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't write poetry. I don't sing on stage at church. Um, and that's fine. What you want to affirm is the artif, artistic gifting of some of our brothers and sisters that God has called out to, to minister to us. Uh, the artists in our midst are the creative pastors equipping the rest of us to understand our human creativity, right? And to learn how to feel more and to dream bigger and to imagine, right? And so what we do is we say, I'm creative. And because I'm creative, I appreciate what they do because it's really good. It's really good. And I can't do that. But I understand it and I'm affected by it, right? So I think a theology of creativity is something the church needs because... Uh, every day is a new day. The world is, is, is changing and in flux, and we can be in reaction to that and live by fear, or we can trust that God is sovereign over it and that we're called into being in a collaborative, co-creative role with him. And even if it looks dark and gloomy, we can walk forward by faith, right? And eyes closed, that's the, the walk of faith, right? Eyes closed means imagination, doesn't it? As soon as the eyes open... Dreaming stops, imagination stops. So there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a relationship between imagination and the life of faith. That's why, uh, you know, this used to be an interview, and now I'm just preaching. Um, Keep going. That's why, uh, last, last thought, the two places in Scripture where we see mankind in closest proximity to God, uh, to God. One is in the book of Psalms. Big chunk right in the middle of the Bible. Can't miss it, right? That's the prayer book written as songs set to music. We read it as kind of quasi-poetry uh, and biblical text. These were songs that, that were written set to music, right? That, that, that serve now as our vehicle for understanding and learning about prayer. And then you see in the book of Revelation, when everyone is around the throne crying out, holy, 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 every nation and tribe and tongue, and we're right there by the throne. So what I, what I would argue is um, man is never close, mankind, men and women, are never closer to God than when we're in, in the act of creativity. Singing our prayers, um, offering our praise, that, that we're never closer to God than when we're in the act of, of creating or singing. Um, and, and that should drive us back to a fervent praise, shouldn't it? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah I love that. It just sort of takes God out of the box a little bit too to, to, to re redefine what that creativity is in our lives. I know for, for me sometimes it's, uh, there are times in my faith that I, I have doubts. And one of the things you talk about is that uh, faith needs doubt like a fire needs oxygen. What do you mean by that? That's a good question. <laughs> what did I mean by that? No, uh, we, 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 uh, we misunderstand faith in the church. We think faith is the belief that God exists, which is not, not really faith. Faith is, is the active uh, trust as I move through life, that by being obedient and, and seeking to do God's will, that somehow what God has promised to me or for me uh, will work out, right? 
So it's not just a belief that God exists. It's a, it's a much grander, more beautiful reality where I'm in a, in a relationship with God, where I'm walking with my eyes closed with my hand on Jesus' shoulder. And, you know, I have an older sister. We didn't get on too well, you know. So, you know, that, that game where you close your eyes and you put your hand on someone's shoulder, like I, there's tension in that, isn't there? Like if, I, if my sister was leading me and she'd walk me into the door jam, you know, like she'd, I mean, she'd have some fun with it. And, and I know that in the back of my mind. So the question is, if you, a complete stranger, were going to lead me, or even if God is going to lead me, is this going to go on well for me? Can I really trust that this is going to get me to where I need to go and to get me there in some semblance of safety? Um, so faith is this radically tension-filled reality, right? Eyes closed, being led somewhere, there's tension in that at all times. If you take the tension out, it means you've opened your eyes. Now you can see uh, where, where things lie. You can begin to take your own human reasoning, your own striving into account. Stop trusting God and make your own decisions because you can see the lay of the land, right? The minute you open your eyes, the tension goes away. Does that make sense? So back to the question now. We, we've created this false dichotomy in the church where we think uh, faith and doubt are on a, a teeter-totter. You guys have teeter-totters, right? Seesaw. seesaw. So faith and doubt are on opposite ends of a seesaw. So if faith goes up, that means doubt goes down, right? And if doubt goes up, that means faith goes down. So here we are. We're at church. You might, be, you might have been here for a long time, um, years and years and years, at a church, you've, you've developed a relationship with people. They look up to you because you have a lot of faith. You lead Bible studies. You lead prayer groups, and you have a lot of faith. Then you get uh, a notice one day um, that someone that you love is sick, and you begin to doubt. And you realize you don't really have a vocabulary for, for processing this. Because if you go to your church and you start to talk about your spiritual doubts, your fears, People are going to think that you've lost your faith. Well, you don't want to do that. You've built up this name, this reputation. Like, so then you, you keep it inside. I'm going to have my secret doubts, my secret fears. I don't know how to bring these into the light because I don't know how to navigate this tension that if I talk about doubt that somehow red light, green light, all that work I did to build up faith just goes back to zero, right? Um, and, and the seesaw is the problem. Uh, when we realize that faith is born out of the tension, of not knowing, then we realize there's a dynamic relationship between faith and doubt, right? That, that faith is inherently tension-filled. It comes with, ooh, is this going to work out all right? Ooh, I don't know. Ooh, God, can I really trust you? Are you really there? Do you hear me right now? Um, have you left me? Um, and, and so when we, when we understand that, we realize that, that doubt isn't the opposite of faith or the enemy of faith that faith is the response to doubt. It's the choice we make. It's the commitment we make in the presence of doubt. So faith needs doubt like fire needs oxygen. That's how that goes. Yeah, that's fantastic. It's, it's unlocked some stuff for me. I hope it has for you as well. I think we have to acknowledge those tension points. I like the fact you use the, the terminology tension point. I think so much of, of faith and so much of, of church life is a tension point, how we engage with the world, how we do so many things. One of the other tension points 
always gets brought up. It's what is God's will for my life and, and how can I make sure that I'm in his will? How do we address that? Yeah, we can tyrannize ourselves with that question, can't we? Am, am I getting it right? Am I getting it right? Am I getting it right? And then pretty soon you're just like, man, I'm exhausted trying to figure out. Uh, I, I think that, that we've been handed an individualistic faith um, out of an individualistic era of, of mankind. Um, we're radically individualistic, uh, you know, really in the media age, uh, the mass consumer age. And so we start the question that way, what is God's will for my life? Jesus started it a different way. He said, uh, Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So God, the starting point is that your will would, would work itself out in this world. Give, give us this day our daily bread. Give us what we need to be in the right position oriented to your will that you would take care of our, our dependency, our needs, our, 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 the food, all those things, so that we can actually serve you and be faithful that way, right? So the question is, isn't what's God's will for my life? The question is, um, how do I serve God's will with my life? It's not what is God's will for my life, but how can I serve God's will with my life? Does that make sense? It's not... The way we frame the question, it, it assumes that God would have a different will for all 7 billion people on this planet. And that somehow, because otherwise it'd be a giant traffic jam, that, that God's will for every 7 billion people would have to somehow jigsaw together perfectly so that, that, that his will for me didn't impinge on his will for you. And it's, it's just nonsensical. Rather, there's 7, be, uh, 7 billion people on this earth who could choose to serve God's will with their lives. You see how that changes it. Um, we liked to ask, um, we like to write, we want to write God, uh, God into our story, and God prefers to write us into his. You, you see how that pivots? Yeah. That's, uh, yeah, love that. Uh, I might leave it there. Just wanna, you've got a few books that uh, you brought along with you. I know I've uh, read a couple of them. They're fantastic. You want to just share a little bit about them, and I'm sure we can get them online. We haven't got any here to put the orders, or you can put the orders through Jimmy. I've just been told if you would like to order them, you can order them through Jimmy. But why don't you just give us a, a little bit of talk through some of these? Yeah, I don't, I don't, I'm, I don't know that I'm comfortable selling, um, but uh, I have three books. Uh, my wife thinks most of them are, are okay, and, uh, and, uh, but they're really, yeah, they're really my wrestlings or reflections on faith and, and then trying to uh, work that out. So there's a book on justice, which is really just what is biblical justice. The Grand Paradox is a book on faith, kind of like we were just talking about, that whole idea of God's will. How do I, how do I pray and get the, the guidance of the Holy Spirit? What, is, what does all that mean, faith and doubt? And then uh, this book most recently just talking about the role of imagination in the pursuit of God, which is a, which is a profound thing. If we lack imagination, um, here's how it goes. You know, God, I need money. And I sit around waiting until God, um, and he might send a check, but I sit around waiting to see the exact dollar amount, right? Well, there's other ways too. God removes the bill. <laughs> God lowers your, I, I don't know. Like God, God can answer your prayer in an infinite number of ways. And if we have no imagination, we're only going to see the answer to prayer if it shows up the way we thought it was going to show up. 
And so the greater our imagination, spiritual imagination, we're able to apprehend what God is doing in our life, our family's life. Um, my wife and I, our, our whole parenting philosophy can be boiled down to making memories. Um, there's just something so powerful about memory and identity and, and imagination that comes in with making memories and who they are and what does that look like. And so this book is really just about that idea of human creativity. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for sharing your heart this morning and uh, giving us your time. We really appreciate that. We know you're a busy man. And we pray that uh, you get some, some time off. and get so this, is, this is two times in one year with y'all. Y'all family now. This is, this is a relationship. So, so thank you for having me. I, I really appreciate it. Awesome. Why don't you give him a round of hand? Round of applause.